0: InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. With Americans living longer than ever, many enjoying good health into their senior years, is it time to rethink the retirement age? And does this question mean different things when it comes to men and women? Here to discuss this with us is Chris Conover, a research scholar at Duke University's Center for Health Policy and Inequalities Research and an adjunct scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Now, you've looked at life expectancies over the last century, I guess back to 1900 and perhaps beyond. What did you find there?
1: Well, we found that since 1900, male life expectancy at age 20 has risen 14 years. Yet the working life expectancy of males is actually a tiny bit lower than it was back in 1900. So men are living longer, but they're not working longer.
0: How do you see this affecting society? I think you would consider this a negative situation for all of us, right?
1: Well, it's problematic in the sense that the more years people spend in retirement, the more tax dollars are being used to support them for Social Security and Medicare. Social Security is actually relatively easy to fix. That is, just slight adjustments in how we account for inflation or taking the retirement age up a couple of years would solve that problem quite readily. Medicare is a quite different proposition. The average Medicare beneficiary is now getting $3 worth of benefits for every dollar in payroll taxes that they put into the system. So trying to fix that problem, that budget shortfall, is much more challenging.
0: What are the differences here with men and women? You point out that there's a different situation. What is it exactly?
1: Well, for women, life expectancy actually increased more than for men since 1900, 17 years instead of 14. And in contrast to men, working life expectancy for women actually has risen steadily since 1940. Unfortunately, we don't have figures back to 1900 for women. But that said, women still spend less of their lifetime working. And when I say working, I'm talking about paid employment, being in the labor force and getting a paycheck. I'm not trying to imply that women who stay at home and raise kids aren't working. But the point is, from the standpoint of trying to get more payroll taxes to finance these social programs like Social Security and Medicare, the fact that there's a lot of adults who are not in the paid workforce, and then they go and retire and they get some of these benefits. That just creates a bigger challenge in terms of filling the fiscal gap.
0: You said, first of all, that there's been a 14-year extension of life expectancy since 1900 for men, which I assume is better health care, nutrition, government work in that area. But do you see that continuing into the future? In other words, could people be living to 120, 130 at some point?
1: Well, I don't know whether they'll live to be 120 or 130, but Social Security actuaries have to project where the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be 75 years out. And in making their projections, they are assuming a constant increase in longevity over that period of time. And that's part of the reason why the fiscal imbalance keeps growing over time. It's a combination of we have more baby boomers coming into the system and drawing benefits, but it's also the case that the average beneficiary is getting benefits for a longer period of time because they're living longer.
0: And, of course, with the demise, to a great extent, of the pension system from big business, it's leaning more and more on the taxpayer to fund the retirement and the medical programs. You say that there will be heated discussions about this, but what do you think? Is there a solution to this? I mean, you're going to have a lot of seniors who are going to obviously be very reluctant to have anything change for them. And then you might have young people who feel it's a very unfair situation.
1: Right. And I think that most proposals for redressing this problem tend to think in terms of trying to grandfather current retirees or people that are close to retirement on the grounds that we basically made a promise to them and we can't break that promise so late in the game that they can't adjust financially. Whereas for younger workers, maybe in their 30s or 40s or even your early 50s, if we said, well, we're raising the retirement age one month a year for the next 12 years or something like that, they would have plenty of time to sort of make up for any shortfall in retirement income that they were otherwise counting on.
0: We're talking on InfoTrack with Chris Conover, a research scholar at Duke University's Center for Health Policy and Inequalities Research, and we're talking about the growing length of retirement for men and the shorter number of years spent working. Chris, I'm curious if you have any information about other countries around the world, if they have addressed this situation in a different way from here in the U.S.
1: I mostly study health policy, and I looked at these numbers in the context of trying to understand sort of the ramifications for the Medicare program. Interestingly, the United States is sort of unique in the industrialized world in terms of having universal coverage or close to universal coverage for their elderly population, but not the rest of the population. So we're sort of in a unique circumstance in terms of the challenge of financing health care for our elderly relative to other countries. That said, we actually are in a better position than many other countries in terms of the aging of populations. Other countries like Japan and some of the countries in Europe have a much higher fraction of their population that is elderly, and therefore that's a challenge for them to finance these retirement years as well
0: it seems though that a significant part of our population over 55 has decided they must continue to work in order to support themselves that isn't really addressed here though you're talking mostly about people who have just retired but aren't a lot of people in a financial bind with lower stock market returns and all of that
1: That's true, and that's one limitation of my numbers because, you know, the numbers we looked at are for working life expectancies as of 2004 were the latest figures that we had available. I'm guessing that as we go forward in time, maybe working life expectancies are going to start creeping up precisely for the reasons you just described.
0: You do think it's probable that the retirement age standard will be raised at some point in the U.S.?
1: I think that's almost inevitable. I mean, that's how we solved the first crisis with Medicare and Social Security back in 1983 with the Greenspan Commission. They basically decided to raise the retirement age a couple of years, and that solved the the immediate fiscal crisis and gave us more breathing space, if you will. And now we're at a point, again, where we have to relook at some of these issues about how the program is structured, how generous the benefits can be, and that sort of thing.
0: If you could wave a magic wand, Chris, and solve this problem, what would change?
1: Well, for Social Security, I think that you could just slightly tweak the retirement age, maybe a year or two extension on that. There's also an issue of how we index the benefits, because what we do is we have an inflation index, So that social security benefits are rising with the cost of living. It turns out that what we're actually doing is increasing those benefits at the rate that wages rise in our economy. And wages tend to go up faster than prices because every year we get productivity gains that allow us to pay workers more because they do more in the same amount of time. But because of that, it means that our Social Security benefits are going up roughly 1% higher than the true cost of living. And many people have suggested why not index it to a true cost of living metric? And it means that in the long run, the benefits won't rise as quickly. But too many politicians characterize that as a cut in benefits. But it's not really a cut in benefits in terms of purchasing power. It allows Social Security beneficiaries decades out to have the same standard of living as their parents or grandparents might have had on Social Security, but they will fall behind the standard of living of whatever worker's standard of living is in those out years. For Medicare, I think the challenge is a lot greater, and the fixes are going to be much more dramatic. Paul Ryan has suggested some interesting changes in the Medicare program. To make it more market-oriented, I think that that certainly has got to be part of the solution, that we have got to get away from this idea that we have an entitlement and it's sort of a government-run program. We're really not harnessing the power of competition to control utilization and the cost of care in the way that I think we probably should.
0: Good information, a lot of food for thought there. Chris Conover, a research scholar at Duke University's Center for Health Policy and Inequalities Research, and adjunct scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Chris, thanks so much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.